Y'all can be seated, and as you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up, turn it on. We're going to be in Luke 23 today, Luke 24, and then we'll also be over in Matthew chapter 28. And I, I just want to start this morning by saying how much I love Murphy Church. Love you guys. Absolutely love being your pastor. Last week was Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday we uh, celebrate the time where Christ rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. Afterwards, we had a big children's event. We enjoyed a meal together. As Texans, we give thanks to God for chicken fingers. Amen? Especially Raising Cane's chicken fingers. Uh, conveniently located at 544 and Murphy Road. We appreciate them again helping us with the food. My uh, first Easter here... My daughter, Karis, who's sitting up here in the front, she was one year of age at our first Easter here, and we had just announced that our daughter, McKenna, was on the way. And ten Easter's later, I've, I've reached a point where I find real deep, deep joy in watching our children grow up together, watching families uh, be established through marriage, watching people go through both the ups and downs of life, and being able to walk that journey with one another. I want to encourage you to savor these moments. The holidays literally mean a holy day. And so when you come to these holiday moments in the year, mark that moment. Take pictures on behalf of the communications team at the church. Remember to like and share those pictures and tag the church on Facebook. (laughs) But savor the moments. Take it in. Because life can move on really quickly. Now last week we we landed on a very interesting verse of Scripture. It was in John chapter 12. It was at the end of the triumphant entry. And the Bible says that His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then... They remembered that these things had been written about him and that he had done these things. Now, if you understand all that there is to understand about God, what kind of God do you have? You have a pretty small God. You have a finite God. You have a God that can be completely understood by any human being. You see, there are times when God is at work. There are times when God is doing something, and I don't understand it all, because I don't know all that God knows. I don't see all that God sees. And I've noticed that at times, this lack of understanding or this time period that we go through where we're waiting for God to reveal Himself, it can create within us a lot of fear anxiety, and questions. I grew up in Cowtown, Texas, a.k.a. Fort Worth, Texas. Anybody else here from Fort Worth? i got a few Fort Worthians here. All right. Well, in the summer, we used to love to go to Burgers Lake. Anybody ever been to Burgers Lake? Yeah. And 
Burgers Lake is known for its 100-story high high dive, right? Well, it's actually not 100 stories. It's probably about three stories. But to me, as an eight-year-old boy, it seemed like it was about 100 stories high. And I remember whenever I made that decision, I'm going to jump off that dive. I'm going to get up there. And so I sat there, and I was so nervous, and I, I climbed up. I was so afraid climbing that ladder. You remember the ladders with the metal steps with the holes in the middle of the steps? And then I got up to the top of that board, and I walked out to the edge of the board, and I looked down at the water, and it was so far down. And I was like, all the courage I had within me, I had to summon up in order to jump. And I was like, one, two, three. One, two, three. And eventually, I actually, my feet actually left the ground, and, and I jumped. But at that time, it wasn't over yet. I still had to fall from all the way up at the top of the high dive, all the way down to the water. And whenever I hit the water, I discovered that it was like 20 feet deep. And then whenever I came up, I still had to swim all the way back to shore. And this got me thinking. That's how I feel sometimes when I don't understand what God is doing. I'm, I'm climbing these ladders of fear, and I find myself coming to the edge of the board, and I look out, and I'm like, okay, God, what, what, what are you doing? Am I supposed to take this leap of faith? What is it that you want from me? And then finally, we jump off into the unknown, and we live our lives in faith, and then we land in 20-foot deep pools feel, filled with bacteria, <laughs> band-aids, and beach balls. Am I the only one? Am I the only one in the house today who has ever said to the Lord, I don't understand what you're doing? Anybody else ever said that to the Lord? Yeah, I I thought I probably wasn't alone. Now, I, I want you to mentally grab a hold of three words from this verse. I want you to mentally grab a hold of the word however, when, and then. We looked at that briefly last week, and I want to use this however, when, then verse to frame the resurrection story and help you see it uh, with me. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23 and verse 50. Luke 23, and we'll be in verses 50 through 56. And there we see the however moment. My college English professor, she used to have a red ink attack every time I would begin a sentence with the word however. You ever had a professor have a red ink attack on you? It's not much fun. And so I began to ask the professor, I said, why is it that I cannot begin a sentence with however? And she explained to me that it's not a grammar felony to begin a sentence with however. You're kind of allowed to do it. However, the best use of however is to describe whatever has already happened. Make sense? So whenever you use however, it means that something has already occurred. Now, the however moment in the story here is the crucifixion. Jesus has been hung upon the cross. Jesus has died a torturous death. Jesus is now, uh, now Jesus has now called out to God, it is finished, and the however moment has occurred. And so we pick up the story in verse 50 of Luke 23. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and action. 
He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. So he approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. And then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And when we reach this point in the Gospel of Luke, so much has happened that was very, very difficult to understand. The triumphant entry had occurred. Jesus had cast the money changers out of the temple. He had gathered with the disciples in the upper room where He washed their feet. He had inaugurated the Lord's Supper. He had gone with the disciples outside of the city walls across the Kidron Valley to that little garden known as Gethsemane where he had prayed and poured out his heart to the Father beneath the olive branches. He had been betrayed by a friend in Judas' kiss. He had been taken to Annas and Caiaphas and had endured the Jewish trial. He had been... uh, proclaimed a a blasphemous person by the Jewish Sanhedrin. He had been taken to Pontius Pilate. He had been scourged. He had had the sentence of crucifixion pronounced upon him. He had been taken out to Calvary where they drove the nails into his hands and feet. The darkness had had taken place. The tearing of the veil, the earthquake, the death. Even the zombies of Jerusalem. In Matthew 27, verse 53, there's like these zombies that come onto the scene. All this has taken place. And now the scene goes quiet. Because it's time to grieve. You ever lost someone that you love deeply? And there's all this activity and all this happens and then everything goes quiet. And it's time to grieve. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. He was a powerful man. He was part of the Sanhedrin court, and he had been the no vote at the trial of Jesus. And Joseph goes to Pontius Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. And so Joseph and some women took the body of Jesus down from the cross, and they cared for the body. They wrapped it in fine linen, and they laid him in the tomb. It's the however moment. Something has happened that leads us to this point. However, moments, they are those seasons of transition. And frequently in the however moments, we ask the Lord, now what? Now what, Lord? All this has happened. I've had a transition at work. This has happened in my family. This has occurred. I've received this diagnosis. So now what, Lord? Wednesday, April 17, 2019, will forever be remembered as the Stormageddon that never happened. <laughs> Kids got out of school early. People came home from work early. We set a record for cleaning out garages so that we could somehow fit our cars in the garage? How many of you were anxious all day on Wednesday? If you were in this area on April the 11th, 2016, you would know why people in this area were so anxious. 
Because on that day, our communities had a however moment. We didn't have baseball-sized hail falling from the sky. We had bowling ball-sized hail falling from the sky on that day. And I remember the Sunday after the hailstorm, when we gathered in this room for worship. I remember asking you all, how many of y'all need a new roof? And almost every hand in the room went up. I remember asking you, how many of y'all are going to have to get a new car? And about half the hands in the room uh, were raised. It was one of those times where we reached a transition point in life. We reached a however moment. But it was so beautiful to gather with our church family that Sunday. Even though we had tarps on the roof and totaled cars, people were singing praises to God. But I know there were also a lot of people at that time asking God, now what? Now what? This has happened, so now what? And as you look back on those however moments in life, you begin to discover that eventually the however moment yields to the when moment. When God begins revealing His glory, when the sovereign fingers of God begin to show their work, And then the when moment will eventually lead you to the then moment when it's time to go forward in faith. The when moment in the resurrection story occurred on Sunday morning. Look with me to Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. The passage begins with these words. On the first day of the week. People sometimes ask me why it is that churches worship on Sunday. And it's because of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, and so the early church uh, often began worshiping on Sunday. And so the Bible says, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes, so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Now, it's very early on Sunday morning, and it appears that these were the same ladies that had gone with Joseph of Arimathea and had lovingly taken the body of Jesus down from the cross, placed him in the tomb, and now they were coming back. They had spent the Sabbath, spent the evening preparing spices and perfumes, and they were coming back to clean and anoint Jesus' body. And they were unaware that this would be the moment when the hurts of the past would collide with the hopes of the future. You see, when they arrived at the tomb that day, Jesus was no longer dead. God had revealed His glory. Jesus had conquered death, and life had begun anew. This is the when moment, when God reveals His glory. And this was an incredible when moment. God had reversed the curse of death that extended all the way back to the Garden of Eden and had saturated all of creation and had stained every human heart. God had reversed that curse of death Through Jesus Christ, God had revealed His glory through the resurrection. But I want you to notice something here. What was the women's initial reaction whenever God's glory was revealed? They were perplexed and even terrified. Now, download this. 
when God begins to reveal to you His glory, when He begins showing you what's next, initially, it can be confusing. It can even be terrifying. And before you can go forward in faith, before you take that leap, you must first press forward through a crisis of faith. Great moments in the revelation of God, great moments of faith in the stories of our life are almost always preceded by a crisis of faith. When we call out to God and say, Lord, I don't understand this. Lord, I am confused. Lord, what's next? I personally think that faith in 2019 America is harder than it was in 1989 America. And the reason being is that we've been Googled. (laughs) And so now we just have so much information around us all the time. Now, faith involves you trusting in some things that you can't see. And yet, because we have so much information at our fingertips, we just just always, always want to know. We want all the information Right now, and we have, we have computers in our pockets that have more technology in them than the computers that landed the men on the moon. And so we can pull out our phones and we can say, Hey Siri, what time do the Rangers play tonight? Which Rangers? New York Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Texas Rangers. Well, uh, bad example. But anyway, <laughs> you can see that there's just so much technology around us all the time. And what this yields to is it causes us to be people that think we're supposed to have all the answers. And when we don't, it can be terrifying. In fact, there's even some sociological uh, study that is looking at emerging generations and how the pressure to have all the answers and to know everything is causing them a great deal of stress and anxiety as they enter into adulthood. At the seminary, we have a saying, there's nothing more terrifying than a second-year seminary student. (laughs) The reason being is that that student has just enough knowledge to be dangerous and yet still has so much more to learn. A mature person in life, the adult in the room, someone who is growing, realizes that the more that we know, the more we what? We don't know. The more you know, the more it reveals to you that there is so much more to know. Now hear this. God doesn't call you to have all the answers in life. But He does call you to place your faith in the one who does have the answers. The however moment was painful. Jesus had died. The when moment was terrifying. God had revealed His glory. The then moment was liberating. God suddenly was bringing everything into focus. All the things that Jesus had said, everything was now coming into focus. And so, in verse 5, the angels say, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but He has been resurrected. Remember, Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, 
be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. Now, before you look up, look at verse 6 where the angels tell the lady, ladies, remember. Remember. Now catch this. When God calls you forward in faith, it is not a blind faith. Because God is not calling you to trust in yourself. He's calling you to trust in Him. And you're trusting in a God that has been revealed. You're trusting in a God that has conquered death. You're trusting in a God that has created you on purpose for a purpose. And so he tells these ladies at the tomb, take a moment and remember. Hey, remember how he told Joshua before he was about to lead the people and take on the mantle of leadership that was passed to him from Moses. Remember how he told Joshua, be strong and courageous because the Lord is with you wherever you go. Remember how he told David that those who know the name of the Lord Trust in the name of the Lord, because God never forsakes those who trust Him. Do you remember how He told the prophet Isaiah, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name, and you are mine. Do you remember how Jesus told His disciples that He was about to ascend to heaven, but then He said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? So believe also in me. And so the angels tell these ladies, do you remember way back in Galilee when times were easier? There beside the lake as the sun was glistening off the waters. And Jesus told you that he was going to go to Jerusalem and that he would be betrayed, that he would be crucified, and he would rise again. Now God has revealed this. God has revealed his glory. Listen, I know the however moment was confusing. I know it was painful. I know it hurt. And I know that you grieved. When that person left your life, when that diagnosis was given to you, when the financial crisis hit, it was painful. But the story of the cross did not end at the tomb. He's alive. And so in our story, The however moments eventually yield to the when moments when God reveals His glory. And those when moments can sometimes be a little bit terrifying because you see the power and you see the will of God being extended before you and you begin to realize that the fingers of the Lord have been at work all along. But eventually that however moment yields to the when moment and the then moment. Fast forward the clock about... 40 days, and we're out on a hillside now, and Jesus calls his disciples together. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's a familiar passage of Scripture to many. It's often called the Great Commission. And so Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, and he's giving the church our instructions. And he begins his statement with the word, then. Then. Then Jesus came near and said to them, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, there's five things that I want you to very quickly notice about the then moment. Number one, I live my life under the divine authority of Jesus Christ. How did Jesus Christ receive all authority in heaven and on earth? He came to this earth, dwelt among men, lived and died as we could not, died upon the cross as a substitute for us, took on the wrath of God upon sin, took that wrath to the grave, and overcame the grave. And God says to His Son, You are the heir of all things. All authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. So wherever you go, whatever you do, your life is a gift from God, and you live your life under the authority of God. If you are a parent or a grandparent who is raising a child and you think about what is my responsibility, you have no greater responsibility in your life than to help your children know and be equipped to see the plan of God and live it out within their lives. And as they go, as they live their lives, know this, that they live their life under the authority of Jesus Christ. Everything that we do as a church is done under the authority of of Jesus Christ. But there's a second thing I want you to notice. I'm supposed to go. As a Christian, life is not meant to be lived selfishly. I'm not supposed to have a consumer mentality that just takes in and says, what's in it for me? I'm selfish. I want, I want, I want. But as a Christian, we are supposed to go. We're to be spending our lives so that others might come to know Christ as well. Came across a reading the other day, a quote the other day that really hit me. It said, the Christian life is not a series of ups and downs, but a series of ins and outs. Sometimes we think of the Christian life as, well, it's good right now, and then it goes bad, but we look forward to it going good again. And so it's a series of ups and downs. But the author said it's actually a process of God working in us so he may work out of us. Everything that we go through is the process of God working in us so that he might work out of us. Jesus doesn't call us merely to behave better. Jesus calls us to believe in him. And when we believe in him, the Holy Spirit abides within us. And the Holy Spirit does a work within our heart But the work that God is doing in your life is not meant to just be contained to your life. That work is meant to go out of your life so that you might go. And as you go, you are supposed to, this is number three, make disciples. You see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, my ultimate call is to help other people be a follower of Jesus Christ and to also be a disciple who is living their life on mission, living out the divine purpose of God in their lives. Fourthly, I'm to live like Christ. Jesus says that this is what making disciples looks like. We teach them to observe everything that Christ has commanded. Everything that Christ taught, we teach others. 
And so as we live our lives going after Christ, we are also teaching other people to live their lives pursuing Christ, and the testimony of our love for God is seen in our obedience to God. As we obey His commandments, as we live out a genuine life of faith, it testifies to the fact that we truly are disciples of Jesus Christ who are going and helping others to go as well. And then don't miss this last part. This is huge. Jesus says, remember this. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a massive part of the Christian story. Because on the cross, we see Jesus facing isolation. He calls out to the Lord, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's actually a quote from Psalm 22, which is a psalm that ultimately leads to the fact that the name of God will be proclaimed to all nations. One of the great stories of the cross is that you and I never have to live our lives in isolation. The love that God extends to us is extended to us through grace. You don't earn it based upon your loveliness. It's extended to you through the work and grace of Jesus Christ. And so whenever we follow after Christ, it's not just following after a set of teachings. Jesus calls us to do something more. He calls us to follow after Him, to believe in Him. And it's when we believe in Him that He empowers us to obey Him. And so the ultimate ultimate story of Christianity is that You're never alone. Christ has lived and died so that you might be with God for all eternity and nothing can separate you from the love of God. The opposite of love is isolation. And so the opposite of heaven is isolation for all eternity. No God, no life, no light, just total darkness for all eternity. But that's not God's plan for your life. His plan is for you to know Him, for you to love Him, for you to experience His best. So one final question, and then we'll be through. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've trusted in Christ, where you've believed in Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior? Now, I'm not asking you if your daddy was a deacon. I'm not asking you if You grew up in church. I'm not asking you if you believe in God. I'm asking you, has there ever been a time where you truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the beginning point of the Christian walk. And if there's never been that time in your life where you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would invite you to make this your moment. Easter Sunday, 2019. The moment when you trust in Christ as your Savior. Would you be so kind as to bow your head, please, as the musicians begin to make their way forward? We're going to continue to sing. We're going to have a time of giving. We're going to have some more time of prayer. But before they do, I just want to again ask you, is this your moment? The moment when God is opening your heart and you're to trust in Christ as your Savior and your Lord. You say, Lash, I don't know what to say. I... I don't know what to do, but I I do know that I I want to believe. I would just encourage you to call out to God from the sincerity of your heart. And you might say something like this, Heavenly Father, I ask that this will be my moment. My moment when I experience your salvation and your love. 
I admit to you that I, I have sinned, and I ask forgiveness for that. And I pray, Lord, that you might help me to turn from my sin and turn to your love and your grace. And right now in this church, I'm placing my trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I'm asking you to invade my heart and change my life so that I might be a follower of Christ. Lord, please make this my moment of salvation. If this is you, if this is your moment of salvation, I want you to mark this time. Remember where you're sitting. Remember who you're sitting next to. Remember this moment because this was a step of faith that causes you to step into eternity. You are now following after Christ. And you are His. Nothing will ever separate you from Christ. You belong to Him for all eternity. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. People's heads are bowed throughout the room, but if today was your moment of salvation, I would like to know so that I might pray for you and be a pastor to you. And so if today was your moment, would you just look up at me and let me make eye contact with me? Let me make eye contact with you. Just look up at me and let me make eye contact with you. This was your moment today. Say, Pastor, this was my moment. Father, we bow our heads before you. And today we join a choir of millions of Christians who are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful that he is risen. I thank you for the change that you have brought to people's hearts in both of our services today. I thank you, Father, for what you are doing through this church and within our community. Help us, Lord, not to cower in fear at the however moments. Help us, Lord, even when we don't understand, to lean forward in faith and look forward to the then moments when your will is revealed. And I pray, Father, that the testimony of our love might be our obedience, that we'll be willing to take those steps of faith and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen. Let's stand together, church. Sing it out.